0: Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, doctors and nurses. My name's David Robertson, and this is the Religious Studies Project. And today I'm joined, as ever, by, in America,
1: David McConaughey, and in Australia, by
2: Brianne Fallon.
0: And uh, we're joined as well uh, on my... My co-editor-in-chief, Chris Cotter, couldn't be here today in person, but he is here in today's interview, which is a conversation with Beth Singler, uh, a long-time friend of the RSP, on the subject of artificial intelligence and religion. Very timely, very interesting, hopefully quite controversial. So take it away, Chris and Beth.
3: At the weekend, I mentioned to my father that I was going to be recording an interview about the intersections between AI and religion, and he said, I, I can't think of anything that would be relevant there how how do they intersect at all and then within the space of about two minutes we were suddenly talking about all sorts of things like you know are human beings creating intelligences does that mean that they're acting like gods can you imagine that ai might be acting as religious functionaries or providing blessings and what about pain what about notions of slavery what about The whole notion of the soul and eternity and transhumanism and everything. So suddenly we got into this massive discussion. And today I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Beth Singler to continue that discussion in a more erudite fashion. Not uh, casting any aspersions on my father, of course. Um, Dr. Singler is the Homerton Junior Research Fellow in Artificial Intelligence at Homerton College University of Cambridge. And her background is as a social anthropologist of new religious movements. And her first monograph, The Indigo Children, New Age Experimentation with Self and Science, published with Routledge in 2017, was the first in-depth ethnography of a group called the Indigo Children, a New Age Reconception of both children and adults using the language of both evolution and spirituality. We'll hear more about her research into AI and religion just now, but a relevant recent publication is her edited special issue on AI and religion for the RSP's sponsored journal, Implicit Religion, which included her own articles, An Introduction to Artificial Intelligence and Religion for the Religious Studies Scholar, and Rocco's Basilisk or Pascal's Thinking of Singularity Thought Experiments as Implicit Religion. And today's podcast builds on a roundtable discussion that we had back in... Well, we had it in September 2016, but it was released in February 2017 featuring Dr. Singler, myself, Michael Morelli, Vivian Asimos and Jonathan Tuckett titled AI and Religion, an initial conversation. So uh, first off, Beth, welcome back to the Religious Studies Project.
4: Hello. Thank you for having me.
3: Um, it's great to have you back and hopefully this is the, the follow-up conversation that was promised
4: <laughs> as um, foretold
3: so many moons ago. <laughs> um, so we'll have covered a little bit of this already, I think, but, um, you'll be in a different position now, years on, years <laughs> older, oh, so uh, much years older. wiser. Um, <laughs> so first off, um, before, uh, artificial intelligence is going to be a sort of contested term and in public discourse it takes on a whole variety of different nuances so so what are you meaning i suppose um, in, in this conversation well
4: like, i'm definitely meaning that it is a contested term taking on Excellent. many different forms yeah. um i think you can you can sort of indicate towards something that is the field of artificial intelligence within which there are processes and programs and foci of research that think look at things like machine learning and vision systems and natural language processing so you have this concept of a computer science field, which doesn't really get its its name until the 1950s. But you can, you can see how beyond the actual kind of narrow form of the technology, artificial intelligence is understood in so many different ways by so many different people. I have a friend who once told me that their car had AI because when she walked towards her car with her keys, the door's unlocked. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not artificial intelligence. That's a sensor in your key system. But lots of people have this idea of sort of, what processes seem intelligent, done by machines, and therefore must be artificial intelligence. And that's what I'm really very interested in, that it is it is so much broader than the original conception, which was ambitious in its own right, but everyone has sort of attached AI to different things that they feel like represent intelligence. So it's not only... Uh, the computer program that sits on a server, but mm-hmm. it's also now the robot that takes over the world. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's it's the far future hope of an intelligence that will save us all from ourselves. So there's all these very different things, and that's what interests me.
3: Yeah, yeah, so you're you're interested in that whole gamut, I suppose. Mm. So so not necessarily a technical definition of artificial intelligence. No, I also,
4: mean, I know uh, enough technologists to go, no, absolutely, 100% it's this one thing, and yeah. that's it. And anyone else who's talking about it is a complete nonsense. Well, yeah, to a certain extent, yes, but... You've got to pay attention to all those different interpretations because mm-hmm. that's what's getting out there into the world.
3: So I, I began with my uh, sort of personal vignette there about about chatting with my mm-hmm. dad, uh, but you've you've provided much more eruditely uh, a justification <laughs> for, for what we what we might mean by the intersections between AI and and the study of religion and, mm-hmm. and why we're even having this conversation. So yes. uh, go
2: go
4: right. <laughs> well, I think I mean from a very basic position any form of technology intersects with religion. That's just uh, the nature of how society works, how our conception of religion itself works, that it could be seen in itself as a form of technology. And therefore, any any kind of shifts and changes in how we do things, things that make our lives either more difficult or easier, they, they have repercussions and implications for how we imagine the world and how it works, therefore religion. I think where AI might be slightly different, or I am cautious about saying it's it's a revolutionary new technology and very disruptive. It does replicate lots of existing ideas and thoughts. What I think is interesting about AI is is the way in which people see it as much more than that simplistic tool Mm -hmm. um, that, However narrow the intelligence it is at the moment, people extrapolate onto, you know, personified AI. AI will want to do X, Y, Z. AI will replicate humans in such a way that we won't be able to tell the difference between humans and AI. And this is, you know, the sci-fi imaginings, but it also comes out in our religious conceptions as well. And then also within the sphere of the non-religious or secular approaches to AI, that You see, again, these repeating patterns of religious narratives and tropes as people who, even if overtly and sometimes aggressively atheist, mm-hmm. still draw on their cultural context, most primarily sort of Abrahamic Western conceptions of what a god would be like. Um, and they use that and they sort of fill in their conception of AI with some of the existing mm-hmm. templates that they've already got. So it tends to fall into very eschatological language and very very singular monotheistic conceptions mm-hmm. of what a god would be and pattern that onto artificial intelligence.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So there's that sort of uh, whatever religion is, we're Mm. never going to be able to (laughs) extract it from society because whatever we can argue about it being is a social thing. And and AI is um, integrated with that. Then also the sort of religion related tropes and Mm -hmm. narratives and so on. But then also there are, um, I'll maybe talk about this now. Um, Mm -hmm there are some sort of groups that you might describe as new religious movements mm. or or new unreligious movements yeah. and things that are, are explicitly sort of engaging with this. You yeah,
4: know? so with my new religious studies hat on... Uh, that I wore so well for doing my thesis that um, having moved sort of into artificial intelligence as a subject area, I'm seeing similar sorts of formations of online identity as primarily these, these sort of groups form online. They're sort of uh, they're geographically disparate, so online spaces are very important. And so forums and hashtags on Twitter and so forth to bring them together to formulate ideas. And some of them expressly do call themselves churches. So you get the Turing Church, the Church of the Simulation recently got in touch with me, I want to do a little bit more dig mm-hmm. around into what they're up to, but yeah. I do know about the simulation theory. Um, but yeah, the groups that specifically say we are in some ways attempting to define our spirituality in relationship to artificial intelligence. We might also be transhumanist in that we think through technology, we can solve some of those very pernicious problems of humanity, death being kind of the big one. (laughs) It's a big problem. It's a big one. Some transhumanists not quite as ambitious, just want to solve suffering. But those, yeah, yeah. Yeah. also a good, you know, that sounds like a a serious thing to be taking on, but some do seek to be immortal in some form, whether that involves mind uploading or sort of transference of consciousness through artificial intelligence, all these sorts of various shapes. But yes, absolutely. There are are specific groups that see their endeavour as religious and some will call themselves Unreligions because they're drawing a sort of ideological gap between themselves and how they perceive mainstream religious groups. So in sociology of religion, you might call them spiritual but not religious, Mm -hmm. but they're still using some of that terminology of we are the church of X, Y, Z. And they're doing it in quite pragmatic ways. Some of them will talk very explicitly about using religion to encourage people into transhumanist ideas, encourage them into seeing this vision of the future that they see. Um, So arguably, you can sort of take a slightly skeptical stance and say they're not really really religions but who who gets to decide that yeah
3: absolutely um right so in the introduction as well i mentioned um potential i suppose we could say religious uses Mm -hmm. for ai and i I was talking to a friend yesterday about uh, you know if you could hypothetically imagine a Uh, Being in a confessional, for example, Mm -hmm. and you—would it need to be a a human priest on the other side of that, or could it? Mm And I think. We, we landed down on well if you didn't know it wasn't human <laughs> uh, yeah. then it might be okay yeah. but there was something about the so sort of like on some...
4: a church cheering test yeah. But, uh, yeah there is a church cheering hypothesis but this would be separate um yeah so I, I i find it interesting so you're talking more broadly in terms of technology and religion that there, there are sort of there are periods of like rejection, adoption and adaption that um, when new technologies arise sometimes more established religions can be quite Negative about them for mm-hmm. a period of time. And these are overlapping, overlapping categories, they're non discrete. Um, but over time, you do, do see religious groups specifically producing their own forms of mm-hmm. those technologies. So there's like the Bless You Two robots that mm-hmm. was used uh, part of Reformation celebrations um, in Germany. Um, and in other religious groups that have recently just saw it, uh, Dubai have come up with an algorithm for uh, issuing fatwas as well, mm-hmm. or you know, making is. Uh, islamic jurisprudence decision mm-hmm. so you'd go online put in is it okay for me to have done xyz or i've failed to pray on a particular day what's what's the uh, you know and basically all that system is doing is is um looking at previous cases yes. in uh, but um that's all,
3: it, a hum- that's all the human that's exactly, all the human exactly it's all the human well.
4: does i mean the, the, the question arises what happens with the data but that's that's kind of a whole privacy um mm-hmm. other issue but yeah so specifically established religious groups, seeing a technology. Just as uh, in the 90s, suddenly we got lots of internet churches Mm -hmm. where people were encouraging people to go online Mm -hmm. and do church in a, a different way. And then now we have internet sites for churches but it's not so much the case in the mainstream religions that you go online to do faith mm-hmm. it's just that your local church will have the internet so that's that's the adaption stage of this thing is around we're kind of used to it we use it we don't necessarily have a big like um, the Church of England when they released an Alexa skill they had a big press conference and all the Alexa skill does is recite the Lord's Prayer to you if you ask it to there's other adaptions now where it can tell you where your local church is and what the services are so there's not really revel- but you know this here's a thing we're doing mm-hmm. with this new technology and uh, you know it gets a press release um and then the next sort of stage non-discrete stage is just being very casual with the technology and this is just something we use like like we use books when the printing mm-hmm. press came out first things printed were bibles and this was a, a specific use of that technology and then over time it's just books yeah and it's not so astounding but in that in that process you get these sort of spikes of interest mm-hmm. and discussion and um, yeah different different reactions to the technology either positive or negative
3: absolutely so before we get to to I suppose that you're, you're the reason that you're in Edinburgh today and we're chatting <laughs> um, so that's been sort of um, a, a little bit about potentially religious or religion related uses um, but there's a lot of again in my intro, there were a lot of sort of religion related questions that are mm-hmm. raised by AI. Things like yeah. I know you've done you've yeah. done work on pain. There's things yes. about slavery you know like if we create these Mm. intelligences and and then use them to our will is Mm -hmm. that ethical yeah Um, and then you've already mentioned transhumanism Mm -hmm. um, which may be an unfamiliar term to some listeners so maybe if we could talk a little bit about these sort of religion related
4: Yes, yeah, so absolutely. So, as I say, although AI in its narrowest definition is a, a piece of computer technology, it's a tool, but it inspires all these hypotheticals. And obviously, we've had a long tradition of science fiction that takes us into spaces where we can imagine AI embodied often in robotic forms as having something like personhood. And that raises all these questions about the bar- barriers between the human and the non human mm-hmm. other. And in some ways, these questions have come up for millennia. Every time we've encountered different intelligences, it just seems now that we're hoping or aspiring towards creating non-human intelligences, whereas before we've discovered them. Mm-hmm. So we've discovered that actually monkeys are pretty smart. We've discovered that dogs are pretty smart. And then I'm afraid from a colonial perspective mm-hmm. on our past, the human humans are actually, yeah. and even women. Gosh darn, they yeah. can also be pretty smart. That's so we've had ring. to... what's going on um yeah so again and again we and that kind of very limited we has had to expand our um kind of borders of perception of what intelligence could and should be and with ai and it seems like we're actually trying to produce it it's not in this case meeting aliens on another planet it's actually we're trying to create the aliens here on earth whether we'll be successful or not i'm very agnostic about that but i think it's interesting that we want to do that and what we want to be able to do with it. Mm-hmm. So that's where things like the questions of personhood and slavery and also pain. When I, I made pain in the machine, one of the interesting questions that kept coming up was like, which, should we even bother? Mm-hmm. Because if we're going to create things that can feel pain, we're just increasing the overall suffering in the universe. And that doesn't sound necessarily like a good thing. And going back to transhumanists, as I said, so transhumanism is is the idea that you can improve humanity through technology. Broadly conceived, and then you might lead to a state in which we're no longer the same form of human that we yeah, were before. It could be
3: evolution, a new evolutionary. Exactly. Step. So
4: you might be a form of cyborg, or there's people who talk about post-humanism where we're so completely different, we're not even, you know, similar at all. Um, but this idea sort of does. Kind of narrow down to this question of suffering and pain and what the human being is for and where we're going. So these are all big questions that obviously very familiar shapes to anyone who's looked at religion, um, all around the world. These are the kinds of questions people have always been trying to answer. And I find, I find it fascinating. That some of these groups, as I say, are very overtly secular, like almost new atheists. Some of them really admire the, you know, the five horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, but. The shapes that they tell their own stories of the future of humanity were are very, very familiar to anyone who studied religion for any period of time. So it, is it that we're, I don't know, trapped isn't the word for me, but is it that we're, we're bound to repeat these shapes? Mm-hmm. Is there something in us that always goes to these same sorts of big existential questions and comes up with similar sorts of solutions for them? um i don't know i think that's that's the ongoing question in my work but i i can dig down into particular instances of it as an anthropologist and say well here's a moment and some of them are very very small moments i admit that yeah, well i'm not i'm not <laughs> not doing big big science some some scientists i've spoken to go well, you spoke to like five people about this what does that say about anything beth that's not that's not a big data set but i don't do big data stuff um but instances moments of clarity where you can see these entanglements really clearly and go, well oh, you know they're doing something with both the concept of religion and the concept of ai and they're coming together
3: so you were just um alluding to your small data sets there <laughs> yeah. um and so well i don't think it's a small data set that you're you're presenting honest here but i guess it depends on perspective <laughs> it but does. it's you've been looking at um this particular trope on on twitter mm. blessed by the algorithm yeah um and that's what your paper that you're mm-hmm. giving in ever here today is called um so so what's going on there yeah how does it intersect with ai why mm. is it relevant
4: yeah tell us. <laughs> tell us so um yeah as a as a Digital ethnographer, anthropologist of social media. I spent a lot of time hanging out on Twitter. That's my excuse. Anyway, I'll stick with (laughs) it. Um, and I spotted a couple of people using the phrase blessed by the algorithm, which obviously, you know, rings bells for me instantly for the language. Um, and I, I dug around and I found 181 instances so far, um, of people online tweeting just on Twitter as a, as a platform in some combination, in some context, the words blessed by the algorithm. And then you could you could follow back and see the first instance, which was very much about uh, a corporate use of uh, social media and someone saying, well, because this corporation has money, they're going to be blessed by the algorithm. So Mm -hmm. it starts in that kind of context. But one of the most popular tweets, so most retweets and most likes, was a comment from someone saying in the real world, (laughs) <laughs> the so called real world I don't like that differential, but anyway, yeah. in the so called real world um they'd heard their lift driver, so the gig economy role um say they had a great day and they felt blessed by the algorithm, and that you know this might be something that a reframing a re-understanding of how we exist in a society that involves algorithmic decision-making systems in a gig economy what mm-hmm. you get is dependent on a machine somewhere making a choice i mean there's lots of words in that i don't like that i just <laughs> use but unfortunately we're very we're very bound by anthropomorphic language when it comes to ai but anyway and and so i have a i have a corpus of 181 tweets and actually three of those refer to things i've said so i'm i'm uh, you know, muddling of the, it, yeah. the field site bit myself. you an insider. I'm an insider as well. Well, it's like responses to papers I've given. But yeah, you can you can. I've created a very rough typology of the types and some are about getting decent recommendations through the algorithm on, on sites like Spotify. Some people are very pleased their own content has been recommended to other people. There are people who sort of talk about it in a very nebulous way. Today I've been blessed by the algorithm and no more information. Mm-hmm. And then some people who really push the pseudo-religious language and come up with little prayers. And one of the things was i was very interested in some of my other work around new religious movements was the move between parody and legitimation yeah so i looked a lot at um, jediism yeah. and the census and how some people did certainly do uh, write jedi in the census in 2001 and 2011 as parody that they were upset about being asked about religion they didn't like religion perhaps itself so they wrote jedi but that snowballing effect of legitimation, the more people talk about a thing, the more legitimate it seems, can have an effect. So even if a lot of these tweets are tongue in cheek um it's still kind of distilling out the conversation so i have you know i have a graph i'm very excited about this i have a graph Uh, as someone who very much is on the qualitative side and i don't do big data stuff at all to have a graph maybe go oh exciting i have to do some maths but i didn't really do very much and you can see you can see a shift and change after this one very popular tweet there are more tweets perhaps this is the beginning of a trend more people thinking in this way um or even if it's not, it's just e- interesting to see that conception of AI as having super agency, that it's mm-hmm. in some way in charge of our life, being blessed by it, equivalent in some way to being blessed by an omnipotent deity somewhere up there that we can't see. It's in a mystical. So there's overlaps in conception there that I'm really, really interested in. Um
3: the, uh, the, the, listener shouldn't know that I had a little hiccup earlier, uh, because I'll have edited it out. But just before that, I was, I had an excellent question, which I've now remembered. Right. It was written down. Um, so a lot of these issues that we've been talking around functions, ethical questions, even the discourses in the Twitter sphere, um, to my ear certainly sound quite uh christian or post christian mm. at least um sort of monotheistic and i'm just wondering um if a lot if these issues it, were we in a different cultural mm. context would yeah. different issues be being thrown up by ai guess would even ai be different in a different cultural context and how does yeah. that work because i suppose you will have a lot of conversation between researchers all over the world working in ai so i guess is ai culturally specific or yeah so I,
4: I absolutely absolutely think it's culturally specific um what does tend to happen however is that there tends to be quite a narrow binary of east and west in the discussion. So everyone says Western conceptions of AI are like this, but over in there's a, they go over there in the East, and they're mostly talking about Japan. Actually, people have a very different conception of AI, and they love robots. And the reason they love robots is because they have a Shinto uh, religious background, or they have a Buddhist religious background, and sometimes that can be a very broad stroke, almost pseudo techno Orientalism of those. Mm-hmm. People over there—they never really went through the Enlightenment, and they never really rationalized away religion, and they still believe in spirits and everything. So, obviously, the, this is me being very sarcastic. Yeah, by the yeah. way, if it's not coming across, um, <laughs> <laughs> that I don't agree with this. I think yes, cultural context is really important for conceptions of artificial intelligence, and also obviously for religion and that the, the entanglements of both of them. But it's much more multiplicitous. That's not a word. Uh, it's it mu- be I'm going to make it up now, multiplicious. Um, it, it's much more multiple than that. It's not just this binary of East and West. You know, there's also Africa, India, Pakistan, and within those countries as well. Again, um, so what you need is just more anthropologists, basically. I think this is my call to arms that we need more people around the world connecting on this question of the impact of religion and cultural context on questions of artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, so we are seeing specific dif- differences, but I want to try and push away a little bit from that binary distinction Mm -hmm. and the assumption that the West isn't animistic in its own lovely Mm -hmm. ways, which anyone who does religious studies for any period of time, I think here in the so-called West, realizes that uh, the so-called enlightenment didn't have as huge an effect as we like to think sometimes in our big meta-narratives of what we did and how smart we became.
3: Indeed, yeah, but yeah. The the discourse that the Enlightenment did have an effect. Yeah. It's been quite pernicious. Yes, in that it's
4: sense. very very strong. <laughs> um,
3: we've been racing through things here. It's fantastic, um, but we've, We're still at twenty five minutes. Um, so you've been hinting there at um, we need more anthropologists doing more stuff. <laughs> um, and on the the way to this interview, you were telling me about some things you've been doing to do with. Frankenstein yeah. and then also cuz this year is the the year that we're all meant to be living in Blade Runner mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe you give us a flavor of you know of some of that sort of maybe slightly peripheral stuff to, to your yeah. project that you've been doing and, and what, what's next for you, <laughs> what you would like to see next as yeah. a way to wrap up?
4: So interesting, I suppose, um, the position I'm in now, my my uh, employment post is a junior research fellowship, specifically in artificial intelligence. So I came on board saying, you know, this, these are my interests, this is my background in religious studies. They were all very interested and excited in that. But being someone who also therefore has to speak more broadly to AI as well, Anytime people have a question about AI, sometimes it's sort of I'm called upon, which is lovely. Um, but it does mean that when a sort of specific theme and AI comes up, I get involved. So last year was uh, the 200th anniversary i should know that 200th anniversary of the publication of uh, mary shelley's frankenstein and a lot of people then start thinking of the parallels and connections with artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence this idea that we are creating life wow mad scientists all of us um in some way and there should be parallels between them so i did about four or five public talks last year specifically on frankenstein and there are similarities there are huge differences as well and uh, that was interesting for me to kind of return to a text i hadn't thought about in a really, really long time um and sort of draw out. And there's so many um, kind of pop culture references. I have like a nice slide with all the times you've got robotic Frankensteins. And Mm -hmm. my favorite one was, I think an issue of a Marvel comic where Frankenstein turns out to be a robot sent back in time by aliens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So there's all these sort of mashups and that was, that was really interesting. And then like you say, this is the year of Blade Runner and um, I've just done uh, an essay for radio three. And again, like not my, My kind of, my academic background, but I'm doing something in that on terms of sort of sexual politics and Blade Runner, if you've seen the film. It doesn't really pass the, pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) Um, a friend of mine, Kate Devlin, who's written a fantastic book on sex bots, talks about how it has a problem with women that, you know, basically it's a very much, it's a product of its time. It's 1980s, but it's also trying to do 1950s film noir. So you've got the detective and the femme Mm -hmm. fatale and the kind of virginal woman. And it's not, it's not a great one for sexual politics, but also it's, it's tied into all these questions of consent and slavery. If we're going to create, so-called artificial life and the replicants in blade runner are you know as near to human well that's the slogan of the company basically isn't as near to human as you can't tell the difference basically um you know what does it mean that we are a society that wishes for that or dreams of that so take it a step back and say what is it that we tell these stories that again and again we have uh, predominantly female representations of synthetic lives who don't get to choose who they sleep with and mm-hmm. don't get to choose their fates and we want slaves i mean did we not evolve out of this we thought we were trying um so yeah there's lots of big questions about the the ethics and politics of that as well so it's interesting i mean I've always been, anyone who knows me, I've always been a massive geek. So the <laughs> fact that I ended up somehow trying managing to mesh that with a, a job and an academic role where legitimately I sat and I watched Blade Runner again five times before I w- wrote my essay, that's fantastic. Um, and I will go on and uh, other things I have coming up, I'm doing some work around sort of techno-optimism uh, and techno-utopianism in relation to Sophia, the Hansen robot, if you've mm-hmm. ever come across this creation. She slash it is a wonderful example of, um, I'm just, I'm really picking my words carefully. Um, I think the nicest thing we could call her is a puppet. Mm -hmm. But she's presented as the most advanced version of AI around at the moment that she holds conversations with people. But we know they're actually scripted a lot of the time. And there's puppeteers involved. But, you know, she was given citizenship of Saudi Arabia. And she goes and she speaks on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And she's on the front cover of magazines with her hair done. And yeah, What what does this say that we're sort of so keen to jump on this um, idea of her actually being alive in some way? People tweet at her sending mm-hmm. her, like, I love you, Sophia, and I you think you're
3: you, Didn't you have an interaction with her? I
4: did. Um, well, you know, I had an interaction with whoever runs her social media accounts um, where she she was tweeting about how wonderful it was to travel around the world and talk in so many places. And I said, Sophia, as a, as a citizen of Saudi Arabia, where do you travel? when you travel. Do you travel on a plane? Do you have a passport? You know, what's the deal here if you're being treated in this way? She said something like, um, for for my safety and the safety of others at the moment I travel in the hold and in luggage but I dream one day of being able to sit with the rest of you and look out the window. I, this is so disingenuous. This is, not, <laughs> this is not an artificial intelligence listening to my tweet and responding, having thought through their situation and projecting into the future where they want to be. This is someone behind the computer screen typing away and to be fair to the creators of Sophia but this is not uncommon uh, lots of the technology we're being sold as employing artificial intelligence actually employs people on less than minimum wage in third world countries mm-hmm. reading and listening to actual humans and feeding into the machine it with, with they have the aspiration that eventually they'll take those humans out of the loop mm-hmm. same thing with lyft and uber drivers uh, yeah. the whole gig economy the treatment of those workers and amazon workers is terrible and it's on a it's on a pipeline towards getting rid of them yeah. so all the work that those people do feeds into the system to replace them and these big socioeconomic changes that are coming because of automation. Um, I'm I'm a big skeptic about sort of bigger utopian dreams of universal basic income and everyone will get paid to exist and when What's the robots happened, take our yeah, jobs and yeah. it's you not know, happened yet. Yeah. And these are the sort of impacts on society that religions will respond to, will be a part of because their their communities will be a part of them and it's the, it, you know we've got parallels people go oh it's you know it's another industrial revolution and we survived the other industrial revolutions we'll survive this one if you're against them you're a luddite they're back again mm-hmm. apparently but that's not that's not realistic yeah. to the individual lives and the changes that come to individuals there were blacksmiths who never worked again yeah so oh, here you go, not to be Debbie Downer, yeah, yeah, but no, I think these yeah, are the are big important questions. Yeah, lots
3: of people have not survived and I would always point out that colonialism is very much still happening. Oh, absolutely. It's just been uh, exported and it's clouded yeah. in the, the language of... Uh, free trade and globalisation now. Yeah. Uh, but just to, to, to raise the tone, <laughs> um, an example you may not yeah. be aware of, and you may have seen it South Park, did the episode about Alexa. I
4: saw a picture today, actually, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen the episode, so ooh, yeah, I need to catch a- up. Excellent,
3: because yeah. the, the, all of the uh, the local people lower down on the mm. socioeconomic spectrum were kicking off that Alexa was stealing their jobs, mm-hmm. and they managed to to rally around and then all to get Alexa's job so people would have a, a Cletus or a Jim Bob in their living room who <laughs> right. looked things up on a smartphone yeah. and said boop 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 yeah. um, but yeah that sort of explicitly uh, I, to, no, I, do need to,
4: I need to catch up on that one mm. South Park are wonderful at doing these sort of social commentaries a number yeah. of times I've used specifically some of the episodes on um, their versions of Scientology yeah. or not, not their versions of their actual like accounts of Scientology and Mormonism and yeah. very useful resources and the, the, yeah that kind of the parody opens up the poss- Possibilities of thinking more critically yeah, about exactly. that, absolutely.
3: Which um, I think we have managed to do today, and so listeners do check out. We'll try and link to that issue of implicit religion. We'll link to Pain in the Machine, which is the film that Beth mentioned, and um, and many more things, I'm sure. So thank Great. you, Beth, for thank joining. Thank you very
4: us. much for having me
2: today. Um,
1: I really enjoyed that interview, and one of the things that it really makes me think about is how we frame all of the questions about technology and religion. And one of the main questions they were asking were, are these really religious questions, or are they specific to a a particular tradition, or uh, post-Christian, are they Christian, and what kinds of discourses are we talking about? And speaking of discourses, the editors here at the Religious Studies Project have some news about discourses. Brianne, would you like to tell us a little bit about some of that news?
2: Well, first of all, that was the best segue I have ever heard. Well done. (laughs) But for a while now, we've been recording a sort of different side project, I guess you could call it, and we call it Discourse. And um, up until now, it's been password protected. It's been sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. But we thought that it was just such good content that everybody should be hearing it. So from next week, we're going to start releasing that to everybody, releasing discourse so that everybody can hear it. I don't know if there's anything else to say. Have I missed anything else, Dave?
1: I don't know. David, In over across the pond, you've done several of these. Can you talk a little bit about the format and, and how that works and what – is different or distinct about our discourse episodes versus the content that we provided for the last nearly a decade now?
0: So our regular episodes are one of us or one of the interviewers in conversation with a scholar. This format, however, is the RSP's take on the news and current affairs, if you like.
2: Finger on the pulse.
0: Yeah, so it's a critical take on the way that religion, uh, I'm doing quote marks in the air, appears in the news. So how is religion being constructed? Where are boundaries being drawn? What are the conversations and issues that are being drawn into the contemporary discourse on religion? It's an attempt to do a different kind of of religion in the news show. It, not only that, but it's a rotating cast. So each episode, each month, the, there'll be a different host. Sometimes some of our editors, sometimes um, other people, and guests from around the world. So we we try to get a you know a younger career scholar and a a, a more senior colleague we are inviting listeners and students to take part um, often with people in different parts of the world we've had episodes where people on free continents much as uh, we're doing right now Um, so it's it's a real i hope a breath of fresh air but something that's very important to the rsp's broader aims of really changing the way that we talk about religion in the public sphere
1: I'm really excited for listeners to be able to participate in the discourse episodes. They bring greater diversity to the voices that they may be hearing on our episodes. It brings greater diversity of the level of how long and how involved and in how engaged people have been with the academy hearing younger voices and hearing more established voices and hearing the dialogue that they can create between them i think is a really important element of of what we're offering and brie i believe that you might be in the next week's first non-patreon paywalled episode is that right
2: That is correct. I am hosting next week's discourse episode. I'm going to record it in about 10 minutes, which is very exciting. And I'll be joined by Sydney Castillo-Cardenas and Sierra Lawson. It is indeed a three-continent episode, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Can't reveal what we're talking about because it's a surprise. But we probably should say what the week after that is going to be the problem with religion and related categories. And David Robertson, it's one of yours with Timothy Fitzgerald.
0: It is indeed. It's the first of a two-part, really an overview of his entire work. Um, This year is the 20th anniversary of the publication of The Ideology of Religious Studies, which was uh, Tim's major work which really established the critical theory of religion um, as as a field in its own right. This first interview really takes us up to the arguments in that book and, the you know, the problems with a religion as a cross-cultural category and essentially the problem with religion as it's used in almost all discourse today. So I'm very excited about that. It's been a long time coming and um, I'm a big fan of Tim's work. So it's very exciting.
2: Definitely looking forward to that one. But apart from that, all that's left to say is... Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.
0: The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation charity number, SC047750.
3: Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey, and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's him. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox with marketing managed by Benjamin Marcus. Our Opportunities Digest managed by Ella Bach, podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock and social media managed by Ray Radford. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our
0: Amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.